The following views do not necessarily reflect the values of Jill Holbrook. Instead, they can squarely be pinned on Mr. David Ross and Mr. Daniel Bloom. Any and all legal action should be aimed in their direction. I, the disembodied voice, retain no liability whatsoever for today's program. And now, on with the show. Hey, it's Kim with Adult Swim and Elizabeth, um, Justin's assistant. Wondering if you could just give us a quick idea of what the interview is going to entail, and you know, like one or two other people similar to Justin that you've spoke to in the past. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Hey, beautiful. You are listening to Madcap on the cusp of 420. What you gonna do when the people go home and you wanna smoke weed but the reefer's all gone and somebody had the nerve to take the herb out of the doobie ashtray why they do me that way? What you gonna do when your friends go home and you wanna drink a beer but your ends all gone? Somebody Happy holidays to some of you weed enthusiasts out there. Madcap hopes your April 20th will be as smoky as it should be. The show these boys have whipped up for you today is so good, it's ridiculous. For the first half of this episode, we're going to chat with Justin Roiland. Justin is the co-creator of Rick and Morty, an animated show on Adult Swim, which airs every Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Justin does the voices for both Rick and Morty. He co-created this show with Dan Harmon, who was also the creator and showrunner of Community on NBC. For the second half of the show, we speak to a Renaissance man. Not only does our guest own Tacoma Wellness Center, one of the few medical marijuana dispensaries in Washington, D.C., he's also a rabbi. Sounds to me like he pretty much has life all figured out. He's here to educate us on marijuana law, both locally and nationally, and to give us a little weed history lesson. If there were ever a moment you should put the vaporizer down and pay attention, now is that time. So I'm thinking of the best way to describe Rick and Morty. I'd say Rick, full name Rick Sanchez, is a lovable sociopath genius scientist who moves in with his daughter Beth and her husband and two kids. Beth's marriage to Beau Jerry, played by Chris Parnell, is clearly going nowhere fast. Beth, do you still love me? Ugh, what kind of question is that? The yes or no kind? (laughs) Jerry, do you want homeless people to have homes? Yes. Are you going to build them? No. Then what good was the yes? Meanwhile, her daughter is in the midst of that need-to-be-cool phase, but don't know how in high school. Morty is her brother. He's a 14-year-old pubescent nightmare who was dragged along with Grandpa Rick on his crazy-ass adventures. But this isn't like some trip with Papa to Disney World. Not at all. These adventures are a bit more complicated and out of this world, one might say. All right, come on, Morty, let's go. Oh, jeez. Okay. Oh, man, Rick. What is this place? It's Dimension 35C, and it's got the perfect climate conditions for a special type of tree, Morty called a mega tree, and there's fruit in those trees, and there's seeds in those fruits. I'm talking about mega seeds. They're, they're, they're incredibly powerful, and I need them to help me with my research, Morty. Oh, man, Rick, I'm looking around this place, and I'm starting to work up some anxiety about this whole thing. All right, all right, calm down. Listen to me, Morty. I know that new situations can be intimidating. You're looking around, and it's all scary and different, but, you know, m- meeting them head on, charging right into them like a bull, 
That's how we grow as people. I'm no stranger to scary situations. I deal with them all the time. Now, if you just stick with me, Morty, we're gonna be... Holy crap, Morty, run! See what I mean? David and Justin had an illuminating conversation about the structure of this adult sitcom, its wacky characters, and the pain and suffering that goes along with the creation process. What ties all of this into our marijuana episode is the fact that one member of our show stumbled upon this program when under the influence. Here's that member now, along with Justin Roiland. I'm going to read a quote, and you cool. just give me a response to it, okay? So the, okay. the quote is, I am ambitious and driven, but I'm patient. Slowly moving towards my goal like mold covering a slice of bread, I will have my own animated show on the air eventually. Either that or I'll end up hit by a bus, one or the other. Where's this quote come from? It sounds like something I said. I don't know when, because I have the world's worst memory. I but, got it from uh, your link. I got it from your LinkedIn page. <laughs> oh, interesting. I wonder when I wrote that. That's what I was wondering. I that's that's. I might have, I might have, like, I wonder if it says when your LinkedIn page uh, was created because it's, it was probably close to that date. I can imagine. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think LinkedIn actually provides that information, but, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe for me, maybe if I look it up, there's a way I can find out. To, to dive into the actual characters of the show. So, Rick and Morty, I want to know, uh, so what is, what is Rick's background? How did he end up in the house? How old is he? What, what, what's all that jazz? The, it's funny because there, there's a lot of que there's a lot of questions that that are being asked that 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 we have answers to that we are not ready to give and that we don't know the answer to. Okay. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't that we won't come up with a great answer. It just you know in some cases we haven't thought about like for example Rick's age. We've had discussions this season. You know I've had we've had sort of a proto discussion me and Harmon and Ridley. You know, like okay, let's talk like like really pulled back stuff. Like what what do we what do we know? What do we want? What does the audience know? What are we what are we beholden to? And we're, we're, we we've established a few things internally. Uh, that, that, that you know the way the way we kind of approach the show is we we know things that the audience may pick up on in drips and drabs. And when we write the show, we know them, so they kind of seep through in subtle ways. How long has Rick been gone? Where was he before he, he showed up? These are all things that we know mm -hmm. um, partially, internally, but they're not things we're ready to divulge to, to the audience because, you know, they're, they're things that inform us as writers, and they're things that we may even tell a story about down the road and, and, and kind of loop the audience in, even if it's tertiarily, like, like we're letting the audience kind of get, get a little bit of info about what happened, or maybe we're going to drop a mega bomb, you know, and be really, really literal about about something but but it's all kind of stuff we have up our sleeves and 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 we've we've had discussions in the writers room about okay you know we don't want to turn the show into breaking bad or make it too serialized where we start to alienate new viewers because they haven't seen the show in order and stuff like we kind of look at the show as like okay let's tell really tight episodic storylines we'll do crazy show building episodes like council of ricks you know maybe once or twice a season but the rest of the shows need to be evergreen awesome sci-fi stories that that function on two levels that they're a great point of entry to the show but then they're also they also build upon what fans of the show know about the characters and stuff i feel like a show that has 10 episodes a season that's on that's on adult swim <clears throat> you know that sort of is 
the seasons are kind of breaked up or broken up with these long long uh, passages. You, you tend to want to be able to tell more isolated nuggets. You know, these these stories that kind of live independently of each other. If you're hearing about this show Rick and Morty just now, and you're like, what what the hell is this show? And you tune in and you catch some random episode out of order. We we definitely tried to make sure that you would be you know able to enjoy it just as much as as someone who's seen them all. The only one that I feel is sort of contrary to that is possibly Council of Ricks because <clears throat> it's such a world building type show. You know, it's like or episode where you're just you know we're, we're playing with multiple realities and we're I don't know how how that show would would come across fresh eyes. Jeez, Rick, what is this place? The Citadel of Ricks. It's the secret headquarters for the Council of Ricks. Council of Ricks? As you know, Morty, I've got a lot of enemies in the universe that consider my genius a threat. Galactic terrorists, a few subgalactic dictators, most of the entire intergalactic government. Wherever you find people with heads up their asses, someone wants a piece of your grandpa. And a lot of versions of me on different timelines had the same problem. So a few thousand versions of me had the ingenious idea of banding together, like a herd of cattle or a school of fish, or those people who answer questions on Yahoo Answers. Hey, what do you know? It's a cowboy version of me. Jeez, you're easy to impress. That was a pretty funny ass episode. You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, people loved it though. The response was really overwhelmingly positive. So we, 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 you know, we're sort of like trying to balance it. It's like, okay, we want to tell those kind of stories occasionally, but but we don't want the show to become fully dependent upon the audience's knowledge of previous events and stuff. You know what I what I like about the bond between Rick and Morty is that is that they both say each other's names a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah. they say it a lot. We talked about like the Rick and Morty drinking game. And and how people could die of alcohol poisoning if they took a drink every time Rick says Morty and Morty says Rick. Have you tried uh, the game? Have you tried the, the course game? of it? <laughs> no, fuck no. Um, no, not at all. I, I no. Um, it's funny because I remember when we were doing the pilot, one of the notes Lazo originally had among a, a very few notes, he had a couple of sort of like crucial sort of thoughts, and one of them was how many times they say their names. And I remember Dan and I being confused and misunderstanding and taking it as a compliment. Mm-hmm. Like, we thought he liked it. And then we came, we, and then later we found out, oh, no, no, that, what he was saying was, can you pull back on that a little bit? <laughs> we were like, oh, shit, we thought we thought he was saying he liked that. But no, like, he, he actually was like, you know, it's, it's distracting. And uh, I never even noticed it before. And I definitely have kind of pulled back a little bit from where the pilot originally, I mean, we went in and edited out some of them in the original pilot okay. before we went to full animation i was like yeah maybe this is a little much but yeah i mean that's just how i talk when i do their voices it's very weird it's a verbal crutch it's like i say their names a lot and it's sort of bizarre but it kind of just it just flows out of me that way would you characterize rick as a sociopath yeah yeah i mean i think part of it too is the shit he's seen I mean, now we know that there's multiple realities. There's an infinite, you know, there's an infinite amount of of you out there, Mm -hmm. and and, and there's all different shades of you. Once you know that information and it really sinks in, especially if you have control of interdimensional travel like he does, Mm -hmm. everything kind of becomes less valuable. And I think to a certain extent that's feeding into his, you know, him being a sociopath is because he just doesn't give a shit. Because nothing really matters because there's infinite of everything. Um, I think the sci-fi aspect uh, 
makes it a, makes it really good to have because I guess you can be real expansive and you can go anywhere you want to when when Rick is was going through portals and stuff like that. It's definitely going to take you into another world. There's a lot of there's a lot of room to play around there. Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean absolutely. Like we we have a show where we where we we kind of you know we really leaned into this portal stuff and 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 multi multi the multiverse or you know multiple realities and infinite infinite realities. And it's almost like, you know, the equivalent of the Internet being invented. You know, it's like when the Internet came about, everyone was connected. And then I imagine, like, the next big revolution would be interdimensional, like the discovery of multiple or infinite realities. And now now there's all these realities that are connected. And it's sort of equally as, as um, you know, world-changing. Being able to just go to all these dimensions, I mean, we can just go nuts. I mean, we like the Meeseeks episode, Morty wants to drive the story, and he's – He's saying, "Well, let's go. Let's find a dimension that's like a classic fairy tale style place." Yeah, he fucks up pretty quickly, doesn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, he. You know, I'm sure there's 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 a ton of vari- variations on that world. He happened to foolishly pick the one or the the swath of of ones that have where the giants have like more advanced technology and they're kind of a more modern society with a with a legal system and. And then there's just, I mean, it's just insane. It's like, okay, so there's there's all kinds of worlds we can go to. I mean, it, it's 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 almost overwhelming. You know, it's like, geez, we could do anything, really. You know, and then how? But how do we do that? And also, you know, tell really awesome, tight uh, narratives that 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 are easy to follow and aren't just off the rails, insane. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. You're listening to Madcap, and now we resume David's conversation with Justin Roiland, co-creator of Rick and Morty on Adult Swim. I'm crazy for trying, and crazy for crying, and I'm crazy for loving you. Has there ever been a situation where Adult Swim has asked you all to dial it back for just a situation that you all create in the show? For instance, like Morty sticking seeds up his ass? You're going to have to do me a real solid. Uh Uh-oh. When we get to customs, I'm going to need you to take these seeds into the bathroom, and I'm going to need you to put them way up inside your butthole, Morty. my butt? Put them way up inside there, as far as they can fit. Oh, jeez, Rick. I really don't want to have to do that. Somebody's got to do it, Morty. These seeds aren't going to get through customs unless they're in someone's rectum, Morty. They'll fall right out of mine. I've done this too many times, Morty. I mean, you're young. You've got your whole life ahead of you. And your anal cavity is still taut yet malleable. That's funny because we we do get S&P notes. You know, there, there's the creative side of notes, which, which you know, we, we have notes calls with, with Mike Lazo shortly after we deliver anything, you know, an outline, a script, an episode, whatever it is. Creatively, we get very few notes. I mean, he's very into the show. I mean, there's the occasional thought or you know, story, like a piece of the story that, that maybe he had questions on or felt felt a certain way about. And we're really collaborative with him in that sense. The S&P side and legal side, I'd say legal is pretty easy. S&P, we do get notes. The, it's funny you bring up the taut yet malleable because originally that line was snug and elastic. Oh. And it's like, your anal cavity is snug and elastic. And then S&P was like, well, you can't say that a 
14-year-old boy's asshole is snug and elastic. We're flagging that. There was a huge, like, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that's such a funny line, snug and elastic. And so I was like, all right, well, let me get my thesaurus out. <laughs> we just literally emailed them all these words in the thesaurus. And we just said, which ones can we say? And they, they said, taut yet malleable. And I'm like, all right, fine. Lateral move, in my opinion, but I'll take it. In, ter- in terms of being offensive, like, snug and elastic versus taut yet malleable, like, I don't know. I mean, if you're going to be offended by one of those, why wouldn't you be by the other? It's so weird. S&P is such a weird balancing of of just someone's opinion that someone might be offended. Exactly, because I mean, because then there's a, there's another there's other scenes where like Morty's like getting raped in a bathroom. How are you today? I'm Mr. Jellybean. Hi, Mr. Jellybean. I'm Morty. My grandpa and I are on an adventure. Nice. Is it a fun adventure? I hope so. But I'm starting to get nervous that maybe it's gone a little too far off the rails. <laughs> Isn't that what adventures do? Hey, y- you know what? You're right. Everything's going fine. I just gotta relax and go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, uh, bye. Uh, no, stay. Go with the flow. Stop. You're making me really uncomfortable. Stop fighting. Just let this happen. Get off of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, going into series, Mike Lazo's fought pretty hard on many occasions to help us retain a lot of the edge and a lot of what I mean that that's a particular instance where you know if we had to change that moment for, to something else it would have broke the the story just because we needed that moment in order for Morty's story arc to kind of come full circle that was one that they definitely gave us notes on I mean it was like you can't do that I mean pretty much was what was said like you can't you can't do that in this rating I made sure that it was done in a way that was very, for better or for worse, I mean, it needed to be really, like, intense and not jokey. Like, it needed to feel really uncomfortable and real. Otherwise, we're just, you know what I mean? We're we're just goofing around a, a really sensitive topic. Like, it needed to feel really fucked up. Yeah, it was real. And dark and real. And I think that was one of the reasons why S&P backed off is because they're like, okay, they're, first of all, Lazo fought pretty hard because... He understood that if we lose this, we lo- the story is in jeopardy, pretty significantly so. And then also, we're not making light of rape. It's a horrible thing that happens. It almost happened to Morty here, and not in a funny way, like in a really fucked up, serious, like, holy shit, the universe is fucked up kind of a way. It's not a big playground out there. That was a case of like us, like literally, well, not literally, but that, that was us sitting on the edge of our seats going, holy shit, like what is going to happen with this episode if they put their foot down? Because what can we do that's going to be as impactful on Morty as this kind of a moment, you know, that we've created that's just horrible and just super fucked up for Morty it, it, it worked, um, in it this whimsical greatly. bar? Yeah, <laughs> it worked. It worked greatly. Yeah. So I want. So so Summer and Morty attend a high school where the principal uh, is named Gene Vagina. Principal Vagina here. Don't let the name fool you. I'm very much in charge. Reminding you that tonight. Is now is that the name of a principal that you had at Manteca High School, home of the Buffalo? Is that is that where you're, is that where you're pulling that from? <laughs> no, no, not at all. We just that was just us fucking around in the spit draft, Dan and I, and then we just. It just we just kept it because we're like that's pretty. It's a funny joke <laughs> that somebody's last name is Vagina, yeah. and then he says no relation, like <laughs> like insinuating like there's other, there's another like well-known Vagina, in, <laughs> you know that that he gets confused with a lot. 
Um, there may be. <laughs> so what's it like? What's it like working with Dan? What are you? What are your methods of collaboration? It's great because we both bring to the table comp- like very different skills. You know, I'll want to go crazy with char- like a weird character or like the Meeseeks. You know, I'm like like I-, I think Dan wasn't there, but I just remember we were breaking some story. And I was just like, fuck this, man. This is boring and like what the fuck are we doing? I wanna I wanna like I just want like ah Mr. Meeseeks ah, I'm <laughs> fucking screaming and shit. That energy like Har- like Harmon will go, that that's that fun, crazy energy that you're laughing about, I'm gonna build a frame around that. Rather than telling me, No, no, we're not gonna do that, we have to do something else, he he's he just yes ands. Like, yes, that and let's build this frame around it so that the audience can enjoy it as much as you're enjoying it. And then, you know, in terms of, like, production, I'm, like, running everything, the nuts and bolts. And, and Harmon is, is, you know, we're both very active in terms of breaking story and, and collaborating and, like, okay, what, you know, what do we want to keep? What do we want to lose? What do we want to focus on in this particular story or across the show in general? Harmon is just such a fucking amazing yeah, writer. I mean, he can go in and take script on a page and just write the most beautiful dialogue that's hilarious and poignant and everything. That's not me. Like, I can't sit and stare at a blinking cursor and type words on a page. But what I can do uh, and what I, what, and, and how I sort of contribute to the show on a, in a micro sense is we'll get a script and then I'm, I'm in there, you know, I'm handing it off to the board guys. I'm directing the voice actors and getting the radio play cut and sort of bringing Harmon in as, as often as I can to get his input. But when I go in and do the voices of the characters, I'll really go off book and kind of just let them feel loose and real as opposed to just reading reading the scripted dialogue. I mean, I will get, obviously, you know, I always do the takes that are as written to have, but there isn't a line that I don't kind of try something with. And it's kind of a 60-40 thing where it's like in the final radio play, there's there's a lot of stuff that's just me doing weird outtake shit that ends up in the radio play that really helps to bring these characters alive and also kind of such a specificity. You know, it's like Rick is such a weird combination of me and Dan in, in so many different ways and shades, you know. Uh, we had an amazing dialogue editor on season one named Tommy Meehan, who his instincts were so similar to mine. And he would choose these weird outtakes that I wouldn't think to maybe use. I mean, I'm, I had them recorded, you know, I'm just screwing around on the record and then he'll find some weird thing I did and, and cut it in. Like, for example, like in, in the um, Needful Things episode, the devil one, uh, when Rick leans, leans in and whispers to Summer and I'm like, jubba-jubba, 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 jubba-jubba. It's just like, what the fuck? And then like he cuts that in and I'm just like, that's so dumb and so not what you would do ever on a TV show. And therefore, it's amazing, and we have to do it because it's just like, who does that? But like, who does that to the point where it's just like, I'm literally breaking the entire, I'm just going to break this. And that's just one example of just weird shit that, and then Dan's really cool. Like, he, he he's into it, you know? He's like, oh, this yeah, that's fucking great, and we're just subverting stuff. And it's a very good partnership, I think, you know? Yeah, um, I can imagine he's an amazing mentor. So So back to Rick and Morty, how do you all use music on the show? I'm constantly listening to, I have an iPod in my car that's like, you know, filled with all kinds of my favorite music. And um, I'm constantly switching back between Stern and my iPod. And I'm usually on my iPod when, I, when, I'm, when I'm looking for needle drops for the show. You know, like Mazzy Star, the, the, the song that we, that we used at the end of um, the Love Potion episode.
the, the, that band is like one of my favorite bands of all time, you know, f- from forever. Like I've been into that band since high school, early high school, whatever. That was the first time I'd heard that song. And when I saw the episode with a friend watching it, it because the way the way everything was slowed down in the in the, in the song was and the song was uh was gracing its presence. It was like there was just a moment, like a moment where we were just we were just still. You know what I'm saying? It was, it, and we looked at each other. Yeah. I, was, I, I was like, I was like, I was like, I, I feel like I felt something. I feel like I felt something. <laughs> that... We, we, I had always kind of wanted that song in there, you know, like, I, it, I think it was even in the script, you know, when, when we were writing and I was like, we, 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 we have this musical montage. And um, when we got to animatic with that, I remember the first time, like, Dan and I watched the animatic down, it was really incredible that moment played even in animatic we're just looking at drawings you know still drawings and it just was so impactful to both of us uh the first time we saw it it was just like overwhelming it was like oh my god this thing is this is amazing this episode uh, j- just just the song like what it brings to the to the table you know but um dan's dan's been really cool about kind of trusting me with the needle drops like i've i've been you know i i, I the song the song at the end of um uh, interdimensional cable, you know, was another one. It, it's another band that I love uh, called Belly, uh, which, which is fronted by Tanya Donnelly. And like, I'm a huge fan of her and and her sister or her stepsister, uh, Kristen Hirsch, and Throwing Muses and all those guys. Or you know, just all the all the bands that she's kind of touched and 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 been a part of, like Breeders and stuff. And I was kind of vulnerable. I was like, this is, I love this song, but I don't know. Like, are people, like, this is kind of me putting myself out there a little bit. Like, yeah, you should probably not use that song. I would have taken it out in a second. But he was really cool. He was like, no, man, you got to fucking, this is your, this is your chance to, it's your show. You got to, you got to put the songs in it that you, that you, that you want. And if people don't like it, fuck them, blah, blah, blah. It's Um, the personal stuff that always resonates with the audience. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's real. It's like, you know, it's like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be fake or put some song that I think will it's like I I felt like wow this song really works, and I remember like you know on a weekend a long time ago when we were cutting the animatic like I I'm I'm up in my bedroom sitting Indian style on my bed with headphones on and my laptop in Final Cut, and I'm cutting the song over the scene and I'm like okay I could splice it together this way I could splice it together that way, and I'm getting excited I'm like this really is working for me. And now we need to figure out, can we afford this song? Will they clear the song? Will, will, can we get the rights to use it? You know, it's all that kind of stuff. There's there's a lot of bands that I'm like, you know, I fucking love this band. And 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 if there's ever an opportunity where it really helps a moment in the show, really elevates a moment in the show, and also I get to highlight one of my, my hero bands that I, that I just have been listening to forever or love or appreciate, I will do it. Well, if Hall and Oates you know. makes it in, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be filled with joy. If Hall and Oates uh, sneaks, <laughs> sneaks his way, if out if out if I yeah. if I watch and I see out of touch, I'm gonna I'm gonna 
I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be there's gonna be exclamation <laughs> points all rolling throughout me. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to let you go because because they told me four o'clock is when is when we should yeah when sh- when we should stop this. So Justin, uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk. Man, I really, really appreciate yeah, it. man, it was great. That was Justin Roiland, co-creator, showrunner, and also the voice of Rick and Morty on Adult Swim. This show, which had their season finale earlier this week, airs every Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also watch all episodes at your own leisure on adultswim.com. Follow Adult Swim on Twitter, at Adult Swim. You can follow Rick and Morty on Twitter, at Rick and Morty. And you can also follow Justin, at Justin Roiland. For those who just can't get enough of Justin Roiland, he also does the voices of Earl of Lemongrab on Cartoon Network's Adventure Time and Oscar on the Disney Channel's Fish Hooks. That's my shit right there. Be happy to know there is a season two on its way. Special thanks to Justin for taking the time to get a little deep. Special thanks to Elizabeth. And last but not least, special thanks to the amazing, and we mean amazing women at Turner Broadcasting for helping arrange this interview. Okay, let's talk about weed now. I smoke two joints in the morning. I smoke two joints at night. I smoke two joints in the afternoon. It makes me feel alright. I smoke two joints in time of peace and two in time of war. I smoke two joints before I smoke two joints. Our guest is a distinguished member of the community. We'll let him introduce himself. My name is Rabbi Jeffrey Kahn, um, and I'm the owner-operator along with my family of Tacoma Wellness Center. And what is it that Tacoma Wellness Center does? It sounds a bit like a yoga studio. Yes, okay. yes. But it's not. Uh, we've had people actually come to the door with yoga mats. So. Have you really? <laughs> yes, we have. So uh, you're not the first person to think that, but we're, we're actually a medical marijuana dispensary. Okay. Um, which uh, we're not allowed to use in our name officially. Um, and uh, maybe if we did, no one would come with a, a yoga mat. But, uh. <laughs> so first time I met you was in 2010. I wrote an article on you and your wife, and you all were just putting yourselves out to the community Yes. that you wanted to own this dispensary. So let's go back to that point in time. How did this all come about? What, what were the first steps? You know, I guess like so many things, it's uh, it, it's several paths coming together at the same time, and, and, and that's what makes it happen. Um, in, in Actually, in 1998, the residents of the District of, of Columbia voted for a medical marijuana law, and it was blocked by Congress for 12 years. Thanks what, to the Republican-controlled Congress. <laughs> yes. yes. Actually, it was a Republican who actually was, was Bob Barr who liked this thing, right? Well, Bob, cut you off. Bob, no, no, no. Bob, it, it was the Barr Amendment. Um, uh-huh. and Bob Barr got it passed. And then uh, Bob Barr was eventually hired by the uh, Marijuana Policy Project, which is also based here in Washington. Um, and he went around and lobbied and told all his friends in, in, in Congress that it really wasn't necessary anymore. And they repealed it. Um, so uh, at the end of 2009, our law became viable. Um, and then it went through its 30 days of congressional review. And in February 2010, the D.C. Council began to decide and figure out how to exactly put this into effect. 
And we found ourselves here in Washington. Then at the end of 2009, my wife and I, we had returned from Israel where we were living because my uh, my older son is a rabbi here in the D.C. area. And my mother-in-law was very sick uh, uh, close by, and uh, we thought it was important for us to be here in the States for a while. And uh, um, um, we found ourselves here when this law was going to be able to be put into effect. And we realized that we probably could do a very good job of, uh, of making this happen in Washington. My father-in-law, who had recently passed away, had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis about 50 years before. Mm. And through the 60s and 70s and 80s, he really traveled the globe looking for first a cure and then uh, uh, and, and then a way to ameliorate uh, the symptoms of multiple sclerosis. And he tried snake venom and uh, biofeedback and just about anything that anybody ever thought was uh, possibly helpful. And in the 80s, he, uh, he, he, he saw a physician, uh, I think in Europe, um, who suggested cannabis. Um, and that if he could find some, that it might really be helpful. And eventually he found some, even though uh, for a long while it was like he wasn't going to break any laws to get better. And uh, that's not the kind of thing that good people do. But eventually he tried it, and uh, it made a, a, a huge difference for him. Just like we see with so many of our MS patients today at the dispensary, it really makes a huge difference for them. What type of differences are you saying? Uh, much more um, able to deal with pain, um, okay. first of all, but but beyond that, muscle, muscle spasticity and uh, having some of the spasms just go away or be yeah. uh, much less severe um, and, and able to live with them. Okay. So beyond being a, a medical issue for you, this is a this is a very personal issue. This is a, this started out as a family issue for exactly. you. Exactly. Um, and remains a family issue for us, and and went went on a little bit because uh, when we came back from from Israel um, to the states, it was because my mother-in-law was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Wow! Um, and we uh, um, we sat with her in her in her physician's office, and he um, uh, prescribed a, a very rigorous uh, um, a schedule of chemotherapy and radiation. And he said to her, as again, so many of our patients tell us at the, at the dispensary, you know, if you could get some cannabis to use during the uh, um, during chemotherapy, it'll be really helpful. And she couldn't. She lived in a state where, where they didn't have medical marijuana. She had no access to it. We had no access to it. Uh, um, and she got very sick and she passed away very quickly. And uh, um, and we're sure that uh, um, she would have lived longer and, and, and lived better. Um, at, at the end of her life uh, if she had been able to get medical marijuana too. So we, we really uh, felt it deeply as a family. Um, and uh, because of our backgrounds, uh, both as clergy and then my wife is a hospital administrator, my daughter-in-law is a, a occupational therapist. So from a, from a medical perspective, we knew a lot about it as well and knew, knew how to make it work. Is it illegal for lawyers to give that type of advice in those states? I mean, not lawyers, doctors, <laughs> doctors. It's not. <laughs> it, it's not. The uh -huh. Supreme Court decided in Conant versus Walter uh -huh. um, that uh, a doctor has a has a First Amendment right to say basically anything that he thinks is the right thing to say or she thinks is the right thing to say to a patient. The government can't control what a doctor can say to a patient. Other things the government can. 
I will wish you a Chag Sameach. Happy, happy Passover, as it is the week of Passover that we're having this conversation. And just listening to you talk about you being a rabbi, your son being a rabbi, and being the owner and operator of a marijuana dispensary is a little bit mind-blowing, <laughs> even to me. And I knew the story before we even spoke to you. How do your patients, how do the people in the public take it when they hear about this kind of what seemingly is a dual reality that you live. Well, I guess they find our story interesting. I'd um, say so. And uh, um, I think a lot of people tell us that uh, um, because they know our story, uh, it it, uh, it gives them some confidence in in, in working with us. Um, the whole concept of medical marijuana is strange uh, to many people. Um, many of our patients are older. They don't have any previous experience with marijuana. They're ill. They're looking for people who can really hold their hand through the experience and uh, make them feel that what they are doing is okay because unfortunately we've uh, we've all grown up no matter what age we are right now. Um, we've all grown up with uh, a lot of misinformation and a lot of propaganda about why marijuana is bad for you and uh, now we're telling people that that's not the case. How did the Tacoma Park residents first respond when you first presented this idea to them? Actually, it's interesting because we're in Tacoma, D.C. and yeah. not, in, not in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And uh. in Tacoma Park, Maryland, we've received a lot of support. And uh, although we're not located there, the ambiance, the feeling of a community where 16-year-olds vote and nuclear weapons have been banned for decades. Uh, Total hippie uh, town. <laughs> uh, Co-op, <laughs> farmer's market, we're the whole nine. <laughs> so we've gotten a lot of support there. In, 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 in our side, in the D.C. side, we've also gotten a lot of support. Uh, but it was an educational process. Um, when we worked uh, long and hard with the community over the first few years, 2010, 2011, having community meetings and uh, um, getting to the point where our, our local ANC um, voted in favor of us establishing in, in Tacoma. And uh, we've been open since August, and hopefully they're not sorry that we're there. Wow. So this is a very recent opening. That's yes, less than a year. Exactly. The program finally uh, opened in this past summer with three dispensaries in D.C., and it's now, um, I guess, nearly 10 months later or nine months later, and uh, the program has um, ro been rolled out slowly, and it's still small, but it's growing, and we're getting there. Now you mentioned there being a shift in the opinions of people in this area and indeed in the country, even just in the last four years. If you could take a slightly broader view and tell us um, as succinctly as possible about how you see the country's opinions on marijuana shift over your lifetime, you know, from when you were a kid until now. I learned about marijuana when I was uh, a, a junior in high school when my mother showed me the cover of Time magazine that had something about marijuana in high school and I said, I don't know anything about this. This is the first time I, <laughs> I this is the first time I've seen it. I learned about it first in the most negative terms, as as it was being presented then in in the late '60s uh, um, in, in in school, and saw public opinion being um, very much against uh, um, the legalization of marijuana, um, certainly, but even the presence of marijuana of of, uh, of people using marijuana of uh, of it possibly being anything that could be be helpful or positive. The political uh, um, attitudes have changed a little in, uh, after, uh, after the Nixon administration where uh, um, uh, Nixon had an enemies list. And uh, if marijuana wasn't officially on his enemies list, then a lot of people who liked marijuana were on his enemies list. Um, and so marijuana became an enemy of his as well. 
Um, and, uh, um, and, and after the Nixon administration, when uh, Jimmy Carter became president, um, attitudes liberalized considerably. And then uh, after the Carter administration uh, and during the Reagan years, uh, um, the drug war really became intense. Um, yeah. And uh, all people who used drugs became enemies of the state. Um, and, uh, and many of them remain in prison today. But in recent years, uh, as as we started, as you as you mentioned, attitudes have begun to change considerably. Um, not because any laws really have changed on the on the federal level, but because in different communities and 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 in different states, and here in the District of Columbia, um, the people have uh, have introduced legislation, usually by referendum, or, or, um, and but sometimes through through state legislatures to actually change the laws locally, even though they don't change. Um, um, nationally, and now we see that a majority of Americans think that's a good idea. There's a lot of reasons why that's happened. Um, a lot of it has to do with with, with anecdotal evidence, um, because we don't do any studies in marijuana. Um, anecdotal evidence about how it helps medically, but also anecdotal evidence of we're looking now at medical marijuana in California since 1996, and although a lot of people think there's a lot of strange stuff that goes on in California. Really, that's what people thought before 1996 as well. Right. And what hasn't happened is, you know, California hasn't fallen into the sea, and um, there haven't been uh, ma- massive uh, um, uh, freeway accidents because of marijuana or uh, hospitalizations or um, school dropouts or all kinds of bad things that people predict. In fact, um, other than than people getting medicine and and uh, and some people being able to use it recreationally without the worry of uh, of their lives being ended by law enforcement, very little bad stuff has happened or very little has changed um, in states where uh, where big changes have been made in marijuana laws. So, say if I have a chronic illness and I would I desire a medical marijuana card, where do how do I go throughout that process? First of all, you have to be a resident of the District of Columbia. And you have to have one of five chronic illnesses, AIDS, HIV, cancer, glaucoma, or, mu- or a condition involving muscle spasticity. Those are the only conditions that uh, are recognized uh, um, by our, uh, our legislation right now as, uh, being, as a doctor being able to write a recommendation for a patient to be able to use it. That may change, um, and hopefully very soon. There's two things happening at the moment. Um, on May 7th, the Department of Health is going, to be, is going to consider and hopefully adopt a sixth condition PTSD, wow. um, which will make us one of the first jurisdictions to do that. Um, and all indications are that's going to happen in just a couple of weeks. And then in addition to that, the D.C. Council has introduced legislation, unanimously introduced and, and, and uh, um, co-authored by um, the entire council, um, to drop conditions um, from our, our program and to allow um, any D.C. physician to write a medical marijuana recommendation for any D.C. resident, regardless of of how the doctor and patient came to the decision. That PTSD uh, scenario is def- definitely going to have a, I feel like it's going to have a flood of applicants. <laughs> it, it, it could be, but what we do know is that people are definitely helped. Um, here again, we have a lot of, uh, of anecdotal evidence of people 
with PTSD for whatever reason who have come across marijuana in their lives and have felt better as a result. Um, so we know there's evidence out there that, it, that it's helpful. And, and what we also know is there, there aren't a lot of other medications that doctors are being able to prescribe um, that are helping. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of them make the situation worse. What forms uh, do, does a dispensary sell marijuana in? So far, we sell it in just a few forms. Um, uh, dried flower bud in concentrates, hash and keef, also in tinctures. And tinctures are really our first product beyond uh, pretty much just plant material. And tinctures, that would be akin to like an essential oil? No, it's uh, um, it, it's cannabis that's been infused in alcohol, hmm. um, and it's uh, it's great for people who don't want to smoke or vaporize. They're able to put a few drops under their tongue, um, and 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 get great relief from pain and and other things too. So nothing in the way of cookies, brownies, other types of edibles Not yet. Um, so here in D.C., all of that has to be manufactured by the cultivators in a Department of Health approved kitchen. Our program still slow, is still small. We're, uh, we're 250 patients in the entire program now. Our cultivators have been saying when we get to three, 350 or four, they'll be able to put in the kitchens and begin to, to produce edibles. So hopefully next year we'll have kosher for Passover edibles um, <laughs> for our patients who want them. Fabulous. Now, two of the three local jurisdictions uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area are famously liberal. One of them is Washington, D.C., the other is Maryland. Virginia, not so much, although it is changing, especially in northern Virginia. But the district and Maryland have both taken steps recently to change their laws as it pertains to marijuana. The District of Columbia City Council, please correct me if I'm wrong, did they not recently uh, change their laws so that if you're caught with a certain amount under an ounce, it is only given a civil ticket and not a, uh, a misdemeanor crime? Right. I mean, so we're, we're right at a point now where the council has uh, passed the law. Um, the mayor has signed it, I believe, um, and it's going through um, our congressional review. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not quite in, in, in effect, but marijuana will be de decriminalized here in the district, as the uh, Maryland legislature also just did, and Governor O'Malley signed on, on Monday. The Maryland law... Um, I believe allows for um, less uh, um, marijuana, I think only 10 grams, where I believe in the district it's, it's an ounce. Mm -hmm. um, the Maryland laws have uh, penalties of, I believe, be beginning with $100 and then I think $500 a second time. The fine in the district is only $25. Do it, man. This is Madcap, and we're speaking with Rabbi Jeffrey Kahn, proprietor and co-owner of Tacoma Wellness Center, a medical marijuana dispensary in Tacoma, D.C. We had this conversation on the auspicious week of Passover. We had more than four questions for Rabbi Khan, and he had all the answers for us. 
I'm really curious to explore a bit more about your religious background and how it relates to uh, what you're doing now. You know, again, it, it just must be so mind-boggling to people who come in for medicinal marijuana and they hear that you're you're a rabbi. This is your your primary training, correct? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I was a congregational rabbi, active congregational rabbi. For 27 years. Where um, where was that congregation? Um, well, I served four congregations over that period. Uh -huh. uh, um, first in Adelaide, South Australia. Wow. Um, yeah, where I was for six years. Um, and then Rockford, Illinois, just outside Chicago. Mm -hmm. Miami, where I come from, and then went back to serve the congregation I grew up in. Really? Yeah. Nice. Uh, that so must that have been nice amazing. Too. It was a great experience. Wow. Um, and then finally in central New Jersey, um, the last six years I was there. Um, and so, uh, for very different places and uh, lots of experiences, and uh, and actually, I mean, I, I mentioned to you about my in-laws and and their experiences and my father-in-law's positive experiences uh, um, with marijuana and his, his illness. Um, you got a second? <laughs> and, Please. Uh, you, you, you can you can uh, wipe all this out later. Um, so I was ordained a rabbi on June fifth, nineteen eighty one. And if you Google June fifth, nineteen eighty one, the first two or three or four pages you'll get all have to do with the very first case of AIDS. Wow. Um, and so not that I knew that at the time, but I was a rabbi in the eighties and early nineties when um, um, when AIDS was. Uh, well, really an epidemic um, that people knew little about and were scared to death of, and that people were dying and dying all over the place. And certainly in the beginning, um, uh, dying with lots of issues of, uh, of, of, of shame and family uh, um, dysfunction and uh, all, all kinds of things. And as, as a rabbi, but also as a a liberal clergyman in a very conservative town, um, it became incumbent up upon a handful of us to really minister to the sick and um, and their families and really get to know them. And, and uh, um, oftentimes when there was somebody of, of any faith in the hospital that, that needed somebody to come and visit, they would call me and I would be with families and also unfortunately uh, officiate at a whole lot of funerals and meet people who were finding that the one thing that really was bringing them any relief was marijuana. Um, and it was from the same kind of anecdotal evidence that we're finding now with PTSD. Somebody gives somebody who's sick some marijuana to try, and unlike anything else that they're trying um, to try and feel a little bit better, it actually made a difference. So it was really um, being a rabbi during that time, both um, working with people individually and then the whole um, political issue as it was unfolding. Uh, on Passover, we talk about the four questions. On Yom Kippur, we get asked lots more questions. Usually it has to do with, uh, Rabbi, this is my problem. Should I fast? Um, and the answer is, if you're sick, no, you shouldn't fast. Um, here, here's a, um, a, a law. Um, Fasting on Yom Kippur, where the the Bible says, if you don't do it, you'll be you'll be cut off from your people. It's uh, it's something that, according to the Bible at least, all Jewish people should do, except if you're sick, then break the law. Um, and that's basically um, how I view what we're doing here. And interestingly enough, uh, so does Jewish law, and that's why 
most medical marijuana research done today is done in Israel. And that's not just today, but 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 and 40. 1964, Raphael Meshulam, a professor at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, discovered THC. He went on to discover the entire cannabinoid system, um, something that couldn't have been discovered in the United States because in 1937 we decided that this plant had no value whatsoever. And in 1971, when we passed the Controlled Substance Act, we decided that it certainly couldn't have medical value. Schedule one. Um, so that that that's that's where we find it. But but Jewish law says that it can be medicine, and the fact that some politicians have decided that it's illegal just doesn't make a difference. I read in an article. Uh, a man from the Department of Health was quoted as saying, "This man is doing God's work." How do you? What do you? What's your response to that statement? Um, well, I, <laughs> I, 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 I think in a sense it's true. Um, I think that uh, um, I mean, after all, um, this is a plant. All religious people um, uh, who take the creation stories in in in, in Genesis uh, um, at all seriously believe that. God created plants and pronounced them good. Um, and I never saw any any place in the book of Genesis or even any obscure commentary on the book of Genesis that said, except the cannabis plant. <laughs> um, we know that until 1937, um, we really didn't hear any bad stories about this plant. Um, it had been out there since, it depends on your view of how old the world is, but whether it's 6,000 years or 600 million years, this plant's been around with us. Um, and we know of, uh, of, of a lot of help and good that's come from it. Um, we don't know a, a lot of bad that's come from it except the, start, the things that we started to learn in the 20th century, things that turned out really weren't true after all. The cannabis plant has so many uses, not just as a medicine, but in terms of industrial hemp and how strong the hemp fiber is when compared to, I don't know, let's say cotton, and how productive it can be in terms of a hemp seed oil. Uh, hemp can be used in the in as grain for eating in terms of making waxes. I mean, talk a little bit about the myriad of, of uses, if you can think of any more, or, or the ones I've already mentioned. Well, the Greek word cannabis is this is the basis for the the Greek word that comes to us in English is canvas, um, and so um, it, it was until that's mind blowing <laughs> and, and, and until synthetic fibers um, and and now all canvas is is synthetic and made from chemicals mostly petroleum but for the thousands of years le up until the twentieth century all art was was written was was painted on canvas made from cannabis. Um, all the sails on ships, all the rope on ships. Uh, um, until 1840, cannabis was the source of all paper. Um, and uh, Until 1840? Until 1840 was when um, it, uh, the process of making paper from wood was invented. Oh, my God. And until then, then we didn't use wood for paper. Um, and then there became a battle between uh, about paper, about synthetics, of involving DuPont, involving um, all kinds of characters in the 1930s that led up to the prohibition of, 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 of cannabis. Um, but the main reason and 
result of uh, of our, our uh, the, the the cannabis tax act of 1937 that that brought about these stamps was to destroy the hemp industry and to make it a crop that no longer was grown in the United States um, and uh, that it would no longer be uh, a competition to uh, synthetic fibers and fabrics and things that we now use for for rope and canvas and and all kinds of other things and uh, um, and that we wouldn't have it for for other benefits as well. It really does feel like we're at a crossroads here and like there's a great kind of awakening that's taking place around the country. On some level, it saddens me that we are probably never going to have another baby boomer president unless Hillary wins. I guess she I mean, she has a good shot of winning. But let's say that marijuana is still uh, illegal on a federal level f- for the duration of a Hillary Clinton presidency. It will be left to another generation, the generation who did not see you know the summer of love and the explosion of marijuana as a symbol of the counterculture. Marijuana will have been utterly abandoned on a federal political level by the baby boomers who culturally promoted it and enjoyed it. That that boggles my mind, mm-hmm. you know, that it seemingly it's like, okay, we'll use it when we're kids, but now that we grow up, now you guys can't use it. And it's going to be left to more pragmatic Generation X and maybe even us, maybe left to the millennials to actually finally do away with this prohibition. Maybe, but it would be really nice, I think, um, if uh, um, if the generation of the '60s um, righted this wrong. Yes, um, before they left this earth. This is my uh, call, baby boomers. <laughs> I, I, I think you're, you're doing your part. I, well, I hope I am, but I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think it's something that that that, that people know. And uh, um, if you if you were there, and uh, um, and and remember that uh, um, it, it was. It, it was Richard Nixon's war on people who use marijuana, not really a war on drugs. Um, and it was a way to to deal with his enemies. Um, and uh, um, we still are, are living with the vestiges of that. Uh, and uh, it's time to, to erase every trace of it. Well, Rabbi Khan, thank you so much for taking the time to come down and, and, and speak with us and, and educate us, really. My pleasure. Marquise, uh, I hope you're listening. What's the website for Tacoma Wellness Center? Where can people find more information if they are eligible? Sure, it's TacomaWellness.com and you can find out all the information about uh, our dispensary and also the program on our website. Um, we can um, help folks get registered very easily and quickly with the Department of Health. When people come to us with their doctor's recommendation, um, we help them fill out the forms, take their pictures, we walk through their application and pay the fee, and uh, we think that there are thousands of people in the District of Columbia who can be helped and eventually will be helped, and we'd like to see them sooner rather than later. Are you a fan of music? Uh, sure. What, what's a song you'd like to close this piece with? <laughs> <laughs> what you got? <laughs> um, wow. DJ Khan. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, um, at last we we always play jazz in in the background and uh, and that's a good song. Okay, all right, Etta James. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. At last, my love has come along. My lonely day are over and life is life
Jeffrey Kahn and his family run the Tacoma Wellness Center, the only licensed medicinal marijuana dispensary in Washington, serving the area north of downtown. For more information, visit TacomaWellness.com or find them on Facebook and Twitter at Tacoma Wellness. Special thanks to Jeffrey Kahn and a happy Passover to all next year in Jerusalem. Thank you. This Thank you a lot so of fun. Thank much. You. Wow. Thank you guys. The night I looked at you. I found a dream. I'm Jill Holbrook, your disembodied voice. Madcap is produced by Dan Bloom, David Ross, and Afim Shapiro. Our intern is Marquise Goodwin. Madcapdc.org on Facebook and Twitter at MadcapDC. I found a thrill to press my cheek to